All right, take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to Romans chapter 11 as we continue to move through uh, this chapter, this last chapter of Israelology. And really, I hope that you have been challenged to understand why Israel still has a place in the Lord's plan. And ultimately, it boils down to the question that is asked at the beginning of chapter 9 and as a result of chapter 8. If we can be secure in our salvation, or rather, if we can recognize that nothing can separate us from the love of God, then what about Israel? Is God done with Israel? Or does God still have a plan and a purpose to work His promises out to them? And really, that is the question that we have been asking all along. And so today, we're going to refine that a little more. And we're going to begin to focus more on the future of how God is going to bring this about. And that is a joyous passage for us to understand between now and the end of chapter 11. But as we do so, an article this week on the current oil prices said, oil moves higher as high tensions exist in the Middle East. I thought, well, yeah, that's an understatement. When has high tensions not existed in the Middle East? Uh, I don't know whose idea it was to link the United States oil with the Middle East, but it wasn't a very smart one. Uh, They didn't have a biblical understanding of what was going to take place. But the prevailing thought throughout church history has been that the church has replaced Israel. You see, it is not unique that there's tensions in the Middle East. And it will not stop. It will continue until God fulfills His promises to Israel. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the church has been instrumental in causing some of those tensions. And that is all born out of a false theology which we're going to identify today and define. You see, those who believe that the church has replaced Israel and therefore Israel has no longer a role in future events do not understand this incredible passage that is before us today. Because we have the opportunity to see something absolutely amazing as God works and reveals His plan to you and I who are Gentiles. And so the idea that I want us to focus on is this. God is not finished with His chosen people, Israel. Really, that could be the idea of all three chapters of this incredible epistle to the Romans. But it is especially true of this passage. God is not finished with His chosen people, Israel. And because He is not finished, you and I who are Gentiles can celebrate the table before me with security and joy and peace. And so as we begin to understand this truth, let's go to our Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, we do thank You and praise You for the privilege that it is to study Your Word, to understand the way that Your plan is being perfected, and has been, is perfect, but it is being revealed to us, is being shown to us. Lord, we recognize so many prophecies are coming into this passage, and yet we recognize that they are unfulfilled. And so in recognizing this, we recognize that there are promises that You made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, promises made to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, to Daniel, to Amos and to others who is not yet fulfilled, and yet we know that you will fulfill them literally, exactly as you have fulfilled those already. And we give you the glory and the honor for it, because in knowing this, we recognize the security of our own faith. We know that this is what Paul is basing the security of the believer on. And we marvel as we begin to understand a little more of your revelatory plan. Lord, we praise your holy name together. I pray that your spirit would... Help us to understand the truth that is found here in this passage and that we would be changed because of it. Lord, we again love you and thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 
We have spent several weeks already looking at Israelology, starting in verse 9, moving through, or starting in chapter 9, moving through chapter 11. And we are starting to wind that down. And Paul is going to base another fact that we have to live on now. He says, in light of these things, now offer yourselves as living sacrifices. So Paul is bringing this aspect of Israel's history so that you and I understand our security in Christ. And because of our security, we're going to act differently in a world around us. So we've spent several weeks looking at Israelology, understanding that God is still working in His people. And in doing so, we should have developed that, a clear understanding that God is not yet done with Israel. He has more to come. And so because of that, today we're going to develop some of the relationship issues between the Jew and the Gentile. Is the Gentile, or has the Gentile taken over those promises? Absolutely not. But why? What is the relationship there? And as a result of that, we discover that the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel is a lasting testimony to our own security in Christ. And so we begin recognizing Israel's surety. What is it that uh, Israel can grab hold of to know that God is not yet done with them? And then we're going to look at the grafted branches. In other words, those of us who are wild olive trees, gra- uh, branches grafted into the uh, cultivated olive tree. And then finally, we're going to reveal the unfolding plan. And we must recognize one thing, and I hope you have understood it clearly. God's plan, overall plan, is not redemptive only. Redemption is a large part of it, but God's plan is not just for your salvation and mine. If it were, the church would have replaced Israel. But God's plan is to bring glory to Himself. That is your job and mine, to ascribe to Him the glory that is His. And so in understanding that, we come to this passage recognizing that salvation is not the end all to God's plan. There's more. And that is what we have the opportunity to consider this morning. Look at Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. And it says here, if the first lump of dough is holy, the whole lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. In order to understand this, we must recognize Israel's surety. And in order to understand Israel's surety, we have to understand the principle of the first fruits. Because Paul is pulling this example right out of Numbers chapter 15. And in Numbers chapter 15, God is giving to uh, Moses the instruction, and when they go into the land, this is what you must do. And one of the aspects of that, and specifically in the uh, relationship to this passage, in the context of Numbers chapter 17, or 15, verse 17, we recognize that when Israel was to go into the land from their crops, they were to give the first fruits, the best of the best, to give back to the Lord. And the significance of the first fruit is, if the first little bit was given to Israel, then the whole crop would be Israel's. But in recognizing that they are giving the first bit to the Lord, they're recognizing that it all belongs to Him anyway. That was their instruction in Numbers chapter 15. That they were to recognize that the crop belonged to the Lord. So bringing it back to Romans chapter 11, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. Paul gives us two illustrations in this verse. The first is the lump, this dough, and the first fruits. And this is pulled exactly from Numbers chapter 15. And here the Lord is instructing Moses on how they should respond and act. In this passage, the Lord requires an offering. And that offering is significant. And it is purposeful. And the significant issue is one of ownership. Because the question is, who do you belong to? 
And Israel should understand at every harvest time that they are the Lord's and their crop is the Lord's. And so it was an aspect of the first fruits. The first lump being offered is the sign of the whole belonging to the Lord. And this is the same principle that is carried on into the New Testament. We are to give of the first things in our offerings. The offering we give back to the Lord should remind us that it all belongs to the Lord anyway. It's all His. We're just giving a back portion of it to Him as a signification of what has changed in our life. So how does this relate to Israel? Well, in two ways. We've got to talk about what is the lump. What is this, this lump, this picture that the Lord is giving to us in this illustration? And because of the context, which we're going to get into in just a moment, we must recognize that this first fruits of the lump, the lump signifies Israel as a whole. The first fruits of that lump signify the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this action reveals ownership of the entire people of Israel because God set apart Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is significant. If you were here on Sunday night, you understand that God chose some and He didn't choose others. Paul has established that throughout these three chapters. God has chosen Abraham. And besides choosing Abraham, He did not choose Ishmael. He chose Isaac. And instead of choosing Esau, he chose Jacob because God is setting apart a people for his own possession. And by setting them apart, God is signifying that because they are set apart, the whole family line is set apart. God has said, because the first fruits are set apart, the whole lump is not holy. Set apart to me. Set apart for my use, for my purpose, and for my glory. You see, this is a significant thing that reveals ownership of the entire people of Israel. But then he uses a second example. And we're going to build upon all of these, but especially this second example. The second example is of the root. And really of the whole olive tree. And we're going to take the olive tree apart into two parts here in a moment. First is the root. And this illustration comes from Jeremiah 11.16. And actually in Jeremiah 11.16 we have a judgment upon Israel because Israel has been unfaithful to the Lord. And so we have the olive tree and we specifically have the root. And in Jeremiah 11.16, the olive tree is revealed to be Israel and the root of the olive tree is that which gives it its support. And again, the illustration reveals the same thing. Where does Israel get its support from? What is its first fruits? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And specifically to the Abrahamic covenant that was made with Abraham. Because God will never change or amend those promises. So Israel has a national identity of Israel still to this day because God has not fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to build upon this in just a moment, but we also have to look at the next aspect, the branches. So we have the first fruit in the lump. That's one illustration. We have the second illustration where we have the root and the branches. And we're going to expand upon this. I'm going to give you a, a highlight here in just a moment, but we're going to expand on this as we go through. While the nation of Israel is in mind in all of these illustrations... It is the branches that things will change quickly for. And we have to understand this illustration faithfully. Paul's going to lay it out. It's all literal. It's all within context. Paul's going to lay it out. You see the native branches or the first branches here in verse 16 are the branches of Israel. And because the root is set apart, because the root is holy, the branches are as well. And we must recognize that the word holy means set apart. Not saying that they're without sin. This is set apart to God. These are His people. 
And so it's not referring to God. It's not referring to Christ. This is referring to the nation of Israel and the promises that were made to them. And so in recognizing this, we recognize that the branches are Israel, the tree is Israel, and the lump is Israel. The first fruit is the patriarchs, and the root is the patriarchs and the promises made to them. So, notice that Paul is reminding the readers that the branches and the tree and the lump are all set apart to him. They all belong to him. The native branches are national Israel. The wild branches that we're going to get a glimpse of throughout the rest of this passage are us who are Gentiles. And there is a strong warning to us Gentiles. But Paul is reminding his readers that these are all set apart to the Lord. The events that unfold over the next verse reveal a terrible tragedy and at the same time a tremendous blessing. The terrible tragedy is Israel. And because of the terrible tragedy of Israel, you and I receive a tremendous blessing that we are going to partake in a a few moments. Follow with me into verse 17 as we look at the grafted branches. Verses 17 and 18 say this, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and become partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. There is a a strong warning here as we are commanded to avoid arrogance. You see, these two verses come out as a warning to those of us who are wild branches. And we will do well to understand the series of events that led to you and I being grafted in. Some of the native branches, we're told here in verse 17, were broken off. This is tragedy. This is the nation of Israel rejecting their Messiah. And because of that rejection, there is a time gap. In Daniel's chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, we're told that there are 77, 70 weeks. We've lived 69 of those leading up to the Messiah being cut off in Daniel chapter 9, towards the end of the chapter. The Messiah is cut off in the 69th week, and yet the 70th week never happened. Yet. Why? Because that was the mystery. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us of the mystery that was to take place, and that is the church. But does that mean that God is going to abandon His 70th week? Absolutely not. And so as we begin to understand this, we recognize that just because the branches were broken off does not mean that their promises have been removed. In fact, we're going to see this in more detail in a moment. Because of Israel's rejection, Israel is broken off, or part of Israel is broken off. Because many of Israel did not and does not accept Jesus as their Messiah, they are broken off. They are not receiving the sustenance from the root any longer. But in the midst of them being broke off is a truly tremendous event, a tremendous blessing for you and I. Because God made another promise to Abraham. And if you were here again on Sunday evening, we moved through the seven promises that were made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. If you weren't, go back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3 and recognize the seven promises. All of them are for Abraham or the nation of Israel except one. And that is that all nations of the earth would be blessed. God doesn't expand upon that. He doesn't tell Abraham, by the way, I'm going to send Jesus, Israel's going to reject, and uh, the Gentiles are going to believe. He doesn't tell Abraham that. He begins to reveal it in Jeremiah. He begins to reveal it in Ezekiel. But he doesn't get to the point of explaining the mystery until the church has come. 
until he sits Peter down and says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Pointing to himself, not Peter. Church isn't built on Peter. Church is built on Christ. When he sat down and told Peter that, all of a sudden the mystery began to unfold. The mystery that is the church. And because Israel rejected their Messiah, which we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 12, they called Jesus of Beelzebub. Because Israel rejected their Messiah, the wild branch is grafted in. The mystery of the church is revealed. Something that was not seen by the prophets is seen in the New Testament. And the wild branch becomes partaker of the blessings which flow from the root. God just fulfilled His promise to Abraham. And He fulfilled it literally. All nations of the earth would be blessed. Notice that it does not say something uh, that would give you any right to the root. It does not say that we are possessors of the tree, that the branches come in and possess the tree. It doesn't say that. It says we are partakers with the root. In other words, there are still blessings and promises that are not ours. We are just sucking some of the sap from the root at the moment. So we are receiving some of the blessings, but we are not going to receive all of them. We are not possessors. God has not made us to fulfill the promises of Abraham. God in His infinite wisdom kept the time that we live in a mystery all through the Old Testament. He told Abraham in Genesis that all nations would be blessed through Him. But it's not until Ephesians 1 that we're told that we are the mystery. And yet, we are blessed by the root of the tree, the Abrahamic covenant. We should stand, we should truly stand in awe of God's great plan. Because He was not thwarted one bit. In Genesis chapter 12, God knew that in Matthew chapter 12, Israel would reject. In Genesis chapter 3, when He promised to Eve a deliverer, God knew that that deliverer would come and bless all nations. See, God has not been thwarted one bit. God's plan has not shifted one bit. And just because the church is the main emphasis at this point does not mean that Israel will not be again. And so as we begin to understand this, we stand in awe. While Israel is set apart to God and will always be so for a time, the gap between Daniel's 69 week and 70th week, we as Gentiles are grafted in. But in the same breath, In the same sentence, Paul issues a warning to you and I. And this tends to make us, the truth that we've been looking at, tends to make us Gentiles a little bit arrogant. Kind of like the child who just received a popsicle. You ever seen that? Where you get the popsicle out of the freezer and you hand it to the first child, and he's like, see, I got a popsicle. And the other child's like, that's what we're doing to Israel. We're like the child with a popsicle. And the nation of Israel is standing there as if, hey, we got left out. And yet the child who has the popsicle doesn't realize that the next step you're going to make is get a popsicle out for the other child. And as we see this, we recognize that when you look at that little child, there's a smug little look. They may never say anything. In fact, if they're smart, they won't. But you see the smug little look come over their face like, got me a popsicle. You and I as Gentiles tend to have that same attitude towards Israel. But Paul quickly reminds us Gentiles that we are only the grafted in ones. We are only the ones grafted in. We are not possessors of the root. 
merely partakers. And that is for a time that we are blessed. And he continues now with the warning. He says, avoid arrogance. In other words, avoid that that hostile attitude toward Israel. Has the church obeyed that? No. Unfortunately, no. In church history, you read through the events of church history and you recognize the church is as that smug little child. You read into the modern history and all of a sudden you see the church reverting back to it. And that should make us grieve as the church. But Paul issues the warning again in verses 19-21. through He says this, You will say then, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. This is our argument as Gentiles. Uh, The branches were broken off, I'm grafted in, so hey, hallelujah, here's the party. 20, quit, or quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith, do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. That is a passionate warning to us Gentiles. Probably the most severe warning that is issued at any point to the Gentiles. And this is a strong warning. Paul breaks, or he walks through the argument with us. And this is, I love the way Paul does this because he does this as, as a rhetorical responder. He, he comes at you and he answers these questions even as you're thinking them. As you're moving through, it's like, well, we were grafted in, weren't we? Don't we receive the blessings? And Paul says, branches were broken off that you may be grafted in. Paul says, yes, that is true, but reveals why they were broken off. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Because of their rejection of the Messiah. Look around this room today and consider the souls in our community that are not here. Look around this room today and consider how many filled our community yesterday who are not worshiping the one true God today. Let me ask you a question. How are we doing? Are we responding in belief or unbelief as Gentiles? The point is, we're quickly going down the path that Israel went. And we're responding in unbelief. And that is what Paul's point is as well. The Gentiles were grafted in on the condition of belief. Rather than conceit, we should fear, knowing that soon as we already can attest, we Gentiles will be responding in unbelief. We will respond in unbelief. Now, we also know because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we who are believers will be raptured, taken up. And the rest who remain will be unbelievers, Jews and Gentiles. So we understand how we're going to end, but I also want to bring to you a scary testament. Every dispensation in Scripture ends in rebellion. And that includes the church age. We will end in rebellion. And so in understanding this, you and I must not be arrogant. We must not be arrogant. We must not be conceited, but we should fear, knowing that this age is going to end, not in bringing about the kingdom, because we cannot, because we will end in failure. But, that we are going to respond in unbelief, and soon the natural branches will be grafted back in. Have you ever been the one who is arrogant, only to get knocked down a level or two? Maybe you had a right to be arrogant in your own mind, and yet something comes along and knocks you down to earth. You know what? Blooper shows are made for that. Blooper shows are made for your arrogance. 
And yet, Paul reveals something that has not crossed the arrogant Gentile's mind at this point. The arrogant Gentile says, well, the branches were cut off, they're broken off, who cares where they're at? We're all of a sudden, we are sucking from the root of Abraham's covenant. And then God says, or Paul says, if God did not spare the natural branches but broke them off, can He not do the same thing to you? Can He not do the same thing to you, Gentiles, who are responding in unbelief, not believing in Jesus as the Messiah, not believing in Jesus as your Savior? Then we come to a faithful application. Paul gives us a way to respond to this now. Verse 22 says, Behold, then, the kindness and severity of God to those who fall or fell severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Paul brings it down to this, and it's plain, it's black and white. He's always been this way through his book. There's no gray area in the book of Romans. If you find gray area, you better do some more study, because Paul is very clear. Paul is very specific, black and white. If you Gentiles will respond to the kindness of God and believe, then God will continue to show kindness to you. Do you know that is one of the only promises that is ever made to the Gentile church? There are very few promises made to the Gentile church, and this is one of them. If you show kindness, then God will continue in the kindness. In other words, if you show God's kindness being reflected through you, if you are sharing the gospel, people are coming to know Christ as Savior, if this is continuing, then God will allow the church to remain. But the moment that you fall, you can expect severity from God. If we saw in Israel, then we should see it in the church as well. And in fact, when you consider Paul's entire argument, we should expect nothing less. Because Paul's argument has been this. If Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that those who love the Lord, God works out to everything for their good, for their benefit, to those who love Him and are called by His name. And then he builds on that and says, and by the way, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If that is true, then you and I should not be surprised if God would treat His own people, Israel, with severity. Then He's going to treat His people, the church, with severity when they disobey Him. You see, that is how God has dealt with His people. And we deserve nothing less. We deserve that wholeheartedly. Nothing more, I should say. And by the way, if you reject the things of the Lord, you will receive severity. And if you don't believe me, ask the nation of Israel. They are a testimony to it. Look at the Israelites' history throughout church history. They are a testimony to God's severity. But Paul's instruction is do not be conceited. Do not be arrogant. Recognize in fear why you are where you are at. And then Paul gets to the unfolding plan. And this is where things get exciting for Israel. Verses 23 and 24. Scripture says, And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from that which is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? This is an amazing statement building off the illustration that started in verse 16. Because we're confronted with a few things in God's unfolding plan. By the way, did you know, Gentile, that there is another way that you can be removed from the kindness of God? If Israel turns... In belief. Notice what it says. 
Verse 23, And they also, if they do not continue on their unbelief, will be grafted in. You see, you as a church have one of two options. Either we can be raptured in success or we can be raptured in failure. The reality is we know we're going to be raptured in failure. However, that is not the only path that the church could have gone down and could go down. Except we know the end. We know the story. You see, if Israel turns in truth, and this is what Paul, this is what motivates Paul. Remember back in chapter 10, he says, my heart's desire is for Israel. They are zealous, but they are missing the point. And here he says, if Israel were to turn in belief, they'd be grafted back in. This is Paul's operational procedure is I'm going to share the truth with the Gentiles so the Gentiles may make Israel jealous and therefore cause them to believe. But we look in verse 23 at Israel's incredible hope and an incredible truth is presented. The native branch will be grafted in based on Gentile rebellion or Jewish obedience. You get Gentile rebellion, Israel's grafted back in. You get Jewish Belief and obedience, and they'll be grafted back in. Either way, they're grafted back in. Now, this is not really an either-or, as we know that Gentiles will rebel. But the offer is at any point that Israel turns back to God, they can be grafted back in. At any point. Unfortunately, we know that Daniel's 70th week needs to take place before they'll do that. And so we're going to have to go through the tribulation. And in going through the tribulation there will be those who repent. Daniel's 70th week. So Israel has hope. But Israel also has restoration. Look at verse 24. It says, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? The illustration used in verse 16 is an unnatural one. It is unnatural because the cultivated branches being broken off is contradictory to good gardening, right? When was the last time you were looking around and you were like, you know what, I've got a really nice rose bush here, but I've got a really scrubby one over here that's kind of wild. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to cut off my nice healthy rose bush and I'm going to go get this scruffy looking one and I'm going to graft it in. What are you going to get? Scruffy little roses, right? What happens if you graft the natural branch back in, what are you going to get? Quality roses. That is the truth of the promise here. See, some discount this whole statement and say, this isn't really what Paul is saying because they say it's unnatural. Well, they didn't read this verse. Paul says, duh, it is unnatural. That's the whole point. It is unnatural that the people of Israel were taken off and that the Gentiles were grafted in, but that is what God has done. If you were to graft a wild branch to a cultivated tree, you would lose its potential fruitfulness. And that is exactly the point Paul is making. If the Gentiles can be fruitful, how much more can Israel be fruitful? Because they are set apart to God, because they are the cultivated olive tree. There is a day when the nation of Israel will be grafted back in. They will be grafted back in. There is coming a day when Israel will repent and it is easier for the Lord to graft them in than it was for Him to graft us in as Gentiles. God made a promise in the covenants with the people of Israel and failure to graft the people of Israel back in would mean failure to uphold His Word. 
By the way, if God fails to uphold his word to the promises made to Israel, you have no security in your salvation. That's the point Paul is making. That is the severe point Paul wants you and I to understand. However, Paul can say in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ because God is not yet done with Israel. And he believes so passionately in that point, he takes the longest doctrinal section of the entire book looking at just the people of Israel. Stanford Mills says, If God has cast away Israel and will not restore her to her national position and possession, if God will not keep his promises which he made to the patriarchs and their posterity, Israel, if God is not bound by his own word in the Old Testament, then by the same token, God is not bound by his word in the New It is the same God who speaks and acts in both testaments. If God can cast away Israel into eternal dissolution, never again to become a chosen nation under God's protective care. If God can do this with Israel, then God will not keep His promises to the New Testament saints. What other assurance has a saint? You see, God in His miraculous plan has tied your assurance and salvation with His eternal plan for Israel. You can't have one without the other. You can't have uh, a rebellious Gentile people who believe that they're going to do whatever they want, take over for Israel, and still believe that they're going to be saved. They won't be. There's no security then. But there is security knowing that God will keep His promises. The overwhelming reality and truth is, God is not finished with the Jewish people. God is not finished with them. God's not done. And because He's not done... We have reason to praise. We have a reason to celebrate. Because we have security. We have an understanding that our faith will not be removed from us by our own power or anybody else's. Nothing created can remove it from us. You and I rest assured of our salvation because our God is the God who never fails. Who always keeps His word who will never depart from His perfect plan to accomplish His perfect will for His perfect glory. Paul is going to bring all of this to a conclusion over the next two weeks. We're going to end chapter 11 in two weeks. But the significance of what we are about to do in this table before us should not be lost on us. Because what we are about to do means that you're sucking from the root of the covenant made to Abraham. It means that you have an opportunity to partake in the blessings that were promised to Abraham. It means that you have the blessings that were promised to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. The promises that were made to Israel in the new covenant that is for Israel. And yet in God's perfect plan, He knew that Israel was going to reject it. He knew that before He could institute Jeremiah 31, the millennium would come. But He knew there would be a time in between. And that time is for you. And so when Christ stood, rather sat with His disciples, and enjoyed this Last Supper together, do you know what He was thinking? He was thinking about the bride, His church, being made ready, being adorned for Him. And then He was thinking of the time He would come and drink it anew with Israel in the kingdom of God. You know what? When he says, I'm going to take this again with you in the kingdom, you know what he has in mind? When you see me again, I'm going to have my bride with me. And that bride you don't know yet, 
but let me introduce you to her. You're going to bring her in. And he uses Peter and he uses Paul to bring the Gospel to the Gentiles. And that is the significance of Romans chapter 11. And that is the significance of what we are about to do this morning. You see, these promises, Abraham's promises are not ours. Don't you dare take them. That's arrogance. Don't you dare take them. These promises are not ours. But one promise is given to us in a blessing we do not deserve because of God's incredible mercy applied to us who are not worthy. This should give you a renewed understanding of what we are about to do. And as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask those men who are going to help me take this up, if you would please come forward. And as well, I'm going to ask you to prepare your hearts to worship the Lord and to praise Him that you have been made a partaker of the root of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You and praise You for the privilege that it is to spend some time looking at these incredible promises that were made to Your people. Recognizing Your overall plan has always been to include the Gentiles. Israel may have been taken by surprise, but You were not. Lord, I pray that as Gentiles we would recognize that we should not be taken by surprise when You graft Israel back in. But that we should praise You because Your plan is being fulfilled. That we should bow to You because... Your glory is being given to you, and that is our purpose. We praise you that your plan is not salvation only, but that salvation was included, but that your plan is to bring glory to yourself, to accomplish all the plans you have set, to fulfill all the promises that you have limited yourself by. If we understand this, Lord, I pray that we would be changed because of it. I pray that there's not one here today who can live with the pettiness of this life in the arrogance of this life, in the conceitedness of this life, knowing that your plan is being lived out and that it will be fulfilled. Lord, we've had our warning. We've been warned this morning. I pray that we would be wise, listen to the instruction, and be obedient to your word. Lord, we love you and thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.